Welcome to the UK Educators Community Podcast hosted by Sid, an outstanding woman in STEM award winner, serial entrepreneur and educational consultant. Now, my vision is to make maximum impact in the world through education, but I know I can't do this alone. So this is where you guys come in. Why don't you join me on this journey as we as educators and entrepreneurs create impact one child at a time? Join my Facebook group at UK Educators or find some great resources on my website at ukeducators.com. Okay, welcome guys. Um, this is episode number five of the UK Educators Podcast and we have got the amazing Cole Mahay with us today. Uh, so some of you will recognise Cole from uh, the TTLN Awards and he did a keynote speech. And if you've been following me for a while, I've spoken about Cole loads of times at workshops that we've done, at meetings that we've done. I've spoken about him on my profile, if you follow my profile. Um, I'm a huge, huge fan of Cole Mahay. Um, And if it's the first time that you are listening to him, you're going to find out why in a little while. Uh, But today's episode is going to be about leadership in a COVID world. Cole Mahay is a leadership coach. So do you want to kind of tell us a bit more about yourself and what you do and uh, yeah, and what you're currently working on? Great to be here, by the way, Sid. And it's always hard to describe yourself when you've just had an introduction that's amazing as that, you know, and how can I, whatever I say, can't even match what, you, what you've said about me. <laughs> so I'll keep this really simple. I've, I spent uh, 32 years, in fact, my whole entire adult life in the, the police service, having joined from the tender age of 16. It was my number one passion. Within the police service, uh, I probably had the best career that I could possibly have had. I, I enjoyed every single moment of it, even the tough times, and there were plenty of tough times, uh, both professionally and as a, uh, personally. Um, I rose to the ranks of uh, temporary chief superintendent in the police service, uh, managed a lot of people in my time. I think uh, over two thirds of my career were as a leader. I've seen a lot of things and learned a lot of things as a leader in terms of how to get the best out of your staff and also understood that different situations, different circumstances require different styles of leadership. But the one thing that should always remain consistent are your values. And we'll talk about values a bit later on. You know, for me, values are at the very, very centre of everything and uh, that you do and everything that you are as a leader. Uh, and when I left the police service some um, six years ago now, after having served 32 years, I, uh, I thought to myself, well, what is it that I do now? And, you know, I started doing motivational speaking and I have an event. It's called uh, Ignite You in a Potential. And it just up here, and Ignite You in a Potential is, is what our company is called and our annual event is called. And, uh, you know, that was because I wanted to introduce a, a motivational, inspiring event that created a ripple effect, a positive ripple effect across the UK rather than relying on people from coming from outside of the UK to inspire people within the UK. I just couldn't get that. I've been to plenty of those events myself, but I I created my own. And in the last uh, four years, we've gone from 70 people in the room to this year, thankfully, just before COVID-19, we had nearly 400 people in the room. And we are going to have to move it forward because of COVID-19 next year. But I'm, I'm hoping to get a decent number again and inspire people and help people to change their lives by setting realistic goals. Um, 
I wrote a book called Smash the Habit, which was to teach people how I've given up habits. Um, I was just talking to BBC Radio about this this morning, you know, how I moved away from this concept of setting New Year's resolutions, which are so shallow. Uh, and, the, uh, you know, the vast majority of the time, uh, a New Year's resolution is forgotten by the 12th of January. Uh, and because they never, they never have a firm structure behind them. But my book, Smash the Habit, explains how I managed to give up uh, overnight so many habits and replace them with positive habits um, and have sustained that over 17 years from drinking to smoking to eating meat to fish, eggs, uh, tea, coffee, uh, fruit juices, fizzy drinks and even milk, uh, how I've managed to do that. And I believe it's all in your mind. Everything is about mindset. All of us in terms of our Physical abilities in terms of our personal circumstances are in different places. But the one thing that we all have in equal abundance is the potential inside of us, the potential inside of our own mind. Um, so I, I was doing this for a few years and uh, from within that grew the idea of, hey, you know, I can have greater impact if I just talked about leadership, something that I've always done. And now I get to work with all sorts of incredible corporate clients. I work with uh, two universities with all their senior leadership teams. I've worked with a number of police forces. I've worked with the health and safety executive, with the National Health Service, uh, with schools, with all sorts of organizations, helping them to get the very best out of their staff. And uh, I've... I stumbled across emotional intelligence, something I'd heard about several years ago. And I realized that everything I talked about was about emotional intelligence. So I went and got myself a qualification in emotional intelligence. And now much of everything I do when it comes to leadership is all about emotional intelligence. So for those of us that are listening that don't know much about emotional intelligence, how would you describe that? Um, and I know you've done a whole course on it, but how would you kind of uh, describe it? Emotional intelligence as a phrase is something that uh, a lot of people use. And I've heard a lot of it this year in 2020. I've heard a lot of people from around the world saying, hey, I'm very emotionally intelligent or that person's very emotional intelligence or you need to be very emotionally intelligent but there's no substance behind all any of that so what is it to be emotionally intelligent people think it's it's uh, that uh, you know i can uh, i can read other people's emotions well partly it is that uh, some people think it's about always being nice to people well it's not always about that it's not being about soft it's not being about happy clappy emotional intelligence is actually quite scientific in its structure uh, and it's based around four areas so fundamentally what we're trying to get at by becoming more emotionally intelligent is to be able to have have the ability to develop deeper and better relationships with other people. That's fundamentally what we're trying to achieve. But you have to work through a process in order to, to, to do that. So in order for us to have better relationships with other people, we need to have better relationships with ourselves. In order for us to have better relationships with ourselves, we need to become more self-aware. So self-awareness is the first element of social, uh, social and emotional intelligence. Really getting to know yourself in every single aspect and understanding how your emotions affect your behavior. Once you understand that, and again, you know, when I wrote the book, Smash the Habit, I now recognize this is the process I went through. I had to really have a good, long, hard look at myself and understand what behaviors were affecting my life adversely. When you understand that, then it's about managing your behavior. That's the second quadrant of emotional intelligence. Now that you know which behaviors, which emotions aren't serving you, 
What are you going to do about that? How are you going to adjust your behavior? How are you going to make commitments? How are you going to set plans to make sure that you can sustain this new, new, new behavior that serves you better? So for me, for example, it was how do I replace alcohol? How do I replace tea and coffee? Well, tea and coffee was fairly easy. I started drinking green tea. I had now three cups of green tea a day or I have herbal tea. Uh, alcohol was easy because uh, relatively easy because I replaced it with Believe it or not, sparkling water. Uh, now, before I hardly drank water, but now I can drink three liters of water a day, you know, and if I don't drink water, I, I know that I've not drunk water. And there's so many benefits in, in water. And with food, I, you know, I started taking an interest in food because I wasn't having meat, fish and eggs. I actually had to think about my food. So now I'm very mindful as an eater. I know what's going into my body. Uh, and, you know, over the last three three months uh, I've gone on to a bit of a fitness kick and uh, uh, you know I've turned 54 and I wanted to stay healthy and, and vibrant because I'm so busy doing what I'm doing uh, and I managed to lose a stone and a half and I'm going to the gym all because I'm I, I'm becoming more mindful as an eater so that's what that does for you the third element of emotional intelligence now that you've managed to if you like fix yourself it's about looking out of yourself uh, and the, the next element is about social awareness understanding how other people around you operate or how your community operates or how your team operates or how your organization operates or how your religious community truly operates forget the policies the the, the regulations the rules that are written down how do they how do things really work and when i go into a corporate environment i sit down with the leaders in there i get them to really understand how does what makes your organization tick how are decisions really made in your organization what are the cliques in your organization what are the values that people don't talk about that are there within your team or your organization and how does a uh, person X, Y, and Z, how do they operate differently? How do they show up when they come to work? How do they communicate? What goes behind their communicating? What's their behavioral preferences? How can you now adjust your communication styles to better communicate with each and every single person? And that takes you onto the fourth quadrant, which is about relationship building. You don't get anything done in this world from sales to working effectively in, in a workplace, in, in a school, in, a, in an organization, to having decent people around you. You don't get any of that without, the, without having the ability to build deep and lasting relationships. Now, in business, I get told all the time, networking, networking, networking. I don't do networking. I don't go to networking events. I don't enjoy networking events because they always seem a bit shallow for me. What I'm talking about when it comes to relationship building, and this should also apply in networking events, is don't seek to sell yourself. Always seek to build a relationship with the other person. It's when you build a relationship with somebody else that you can sell to them. You know, in sales, they say that uh, you very often buy with your heart and just justify with your mind. And people only buy from those people that they know, like, and trust. Well, they're only going to get to know, like, and trust you once they've built a relationship with you. So that's the fourth element of emotional intelligence. And when I unpack all of those four quadrants, out of all of those, there's a whole like suitcase, if you like, of tools that fall out for each one of them to help people to learn the skills that they need to learn to be able to efficiently and 
uh, effectively operate in each one of those quadrants. I hope that makes sense. It does. And I think there's so much uh, wisdom in what you've just said there that I think people want to go back and pause and make notes on that because I think that's amazing. You've broken it down into four different areas. Well, it uh, certainly worked for me, Sid. You know, uh, it is following this structure consistently. Uh, you know, it's a big word for me, consistently. Very, very important word. Consistency is what matters. They say little and often, just keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. And eventually magic happens. Eventually something unfolds. And it's the same with uh, emotional intelligence. I've applied this in my life for years before without realizing what I was actually doing. Now I do it consciously, but I've been applying this in my life. And it's because I do that, that my business is effective. My business grows. I grow as a human being. My relationships around me grow. And I don't have a thousand people around me. You know, I only have a handful of people that are around me, if you like. Uh, and, and I'm happy with that because I'm happy with my values. And I guess that's sort of the next step is really knowing what your values are. I go into organizations all the time and I'll sit down with senior leaders in organizations and I'll say, hey guys, so what are your values? And inevitably what happens is that people will look, look to a, a poster on a wall and say, hey, they're my values. And I say, well, no, they're not. They're not your values. They're the values of the organization. Now, it could be that you agree with those values, but you will have a different set of values yourself. You're just not aware of them. And this is the truth for so many of us. We go through life and there are things that we don't like. There are things that we do like. There are people that switch us off and people that switch us on. There are morals that we hold and those morals affect the way that we make our decisions. Our values also guide us in the decisions that we make throughout our life, the choices that we make. And yet we don't know what our values are because we haven't taken the time to understand our values. But when you are completely aware of your values, and this again takes us into the first quadrant of emotional intelligence, self-awareness. When you become so self-aware that you know your values, you know what core uh, you have, where you come from or why you have it, then everything in life becomes that bit easier. It becomes that bit easier in terms of choosing the people that you want to hang around with. I have a a saying that, uh, you know, I connect with like-minded people, but I'll only ever truly work uh, uh, with like-valued people because values are so important for me. And if somebody has a similar set of value set to me, then I know that we can go further. If somebody only thinks a bit like me, but don't have my value set, chances are that we can go in the same direction, but probably off at a tangent if we're not careful. Do you think that if you've got an organization or a business does the values of the business, are they separate from the values uh, individually as a person? And if you are running a business, then do you, whose values are you looking at? Are you looking at the business's values or are you looking at your values? That's a really good question. Um, and one that I address an awful lot, to be fair. So every organization should have a set of values. Every organization should, each organization has something called a culture. You think of it as a personality. Every organization will have a personality. This is what makes them so different from their rivals, if you like. That culture can be a healthy culture. It can be an unhealthy culture. It can be a people-centered culture. It can be a task-centered culture. Uh, it is what it is but you just need to define it and understand it. So just like a human being, unless you know what your values are, you can't go in the, the right direction with the, the gravitas and the confidence that you, 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 you should uh, go forward. And also people need to identify with you. 
You know, your, your clients need to know, hey, I can work with this organization because they have a similar set of values, or I don't want to work with that organization because their values are so different to mine. And you don't want to work with a client that, uh, as an organization, you don't want a client on board that doesn't agree with what you're doing because they're probably going to be a difficult client and vice versa for the client. When it comes to hiring your staff, however, every single human being on the planet will have their own values, whether they know it or not. They will have their own sets of values. The values come from a whole variety of sources. The values will come from uh, the influence that they have from direct teaching from their teachers, from their parents, their grandparents. They will have the values of their religion. They will have the values of the communities in which they are uh, grown up in. They will have the values of the country in which they exist. They'll have values that have been espoused through the media that they watch. So we've been exposed to all of these influences throughout our entire life. And, and what's happening is that we're building up these states of value, sets of values inside our own head. Say if I was to hire somebody coming into my business, first first and foremost, I'd want to know that they've got some values and they, they know what their values are. I'd be interested to see what their values are. The second thing I'd want to know is, do their values align? They don't have to be a direct replica, but do they align to my values or the values of my organization? Understand your own value sets. Understand that in the true spirit of diversity, Everybody is different. Everybody that works for your organization, comes to your organization, will be different, will be unique. They will have their own sets of values. But the people that have more alignment to your organizational values are the people who are going to be probably the happiest and the most productive people that you'll have. You, you mentioned there that if you're interviewing, you'd want to know what the person's values are. Now, all of the values that I've seen, none of them are negative, right? They're all positive values. By nature, they're positive. Um, but they can be at conflict with each other, depending 100%. on what they are. There's a difference from someone verbally telling you what their values are and from how they act and how they behave and how they approach tasks and people. Uh, that can completely differ because they might not be aware. And I think that comes back to awareness. They might not be aware of what kind of values they might say that they hold certain values, but their behavior might say something else. Yeah. Um, so the question of when you're interviewing and hiring, have you found from your kind of experience as a leader that people are not often aware of their own value sets? And is it then better to look at their behavior and the way that they treat others and kind of decipher what those values are rather than asking them straight? The vast majority of people have never given a thought about the, what their mm -hmm. values are. Most people just exist. They'll have the universal values more often than not. You know, they know it's wrong to kill someone, it's wrong to steal. These are all values. They're what I call universal values or moral values. Uh, so they will have they'll be displaying those. But the deeper values about what makes them up as a person, they may or may not have really gone down deep into their soul to find out what the, what that is. So I would look for evidence of what their values might be by asking them evidence-based questions. So can you give me an example of when you did this? Or what what is important to you in this situation? Or what would you do in if this situation were to occur. So I ask them hypothetical questions. I put them, uh, I would ask them contextual questions. Uh, and from that, you get a good sense of 
you know, where they, how their minds work and what, how their, their thought process, uh, comes, comes to the fore and, and also the kind of decisions that they would make ultimately. And that gives you a good sense of somebody's values. You might share with them, you know, this is how we do things here. How does that feel to you? Or what is important to you when it comes to diversity? Uh, and all of these kind of questions. And all of these are opening up one layer at a time, more and more values uh, of that individual. I guess you need to know what you're looking for before you can do that. So it's knowing yourself and your own values before you get to the process of hiring other people and introducing their values into the system. A hundred percent. I mean, I, I know so many people, business people in particular, who um, you know conduct interviews, uh, have a very quick process, a recruitment selection process, uh, and they've had no training, no skills in that area whatsoever they just love their business they love their company and they want to have a very relaxed kind of interview and get a get a feel for a person uh, and that's that's great but it can also go very wrong this is a personal question uh, that i'd want to ask you um, and i think it's going to be relevant for a lot of other people that are scaling up as well so i've uh, this year during covid i've set up a, a new business and i've gone from there being three staff, including me, to now being 18 of us. Mm. Um, and it's got grown in the space of six months. So it's been a really fast growth. And I think the sort of conflicts that we've had internally um, have been having a, a set of values or a, a kind of expectations of how I want the, the team to work, but then not having a structure that kind of works with it and it's figuring out what kind of leader I want to be in that organization and one thing I've realized is the top-down structure doesn't work for what we're trying to achieve because I'm trying to achieve a growth mindset where people kind of take ownership of um, their own learning Um, if it's a failure it's a learning opportunity for the entire team we don't see that as a negative thing we learn from it right Um, so from that perspective have you come across organization structures which aren't top down? Because that's the one that we know. Even in the education system, you've got the head teacher, you've got your heads of departments, you've got the teachers. And it's always this top down structure, the leader follower structure that's always worked. What kind of organization structures have fit in with your value sets that work really well that you'd be like, this works for this reason? Yeah. You've talked about, you know, moving away from a blame culture to a learning culture. Uh, there's a really good book on this that you could read called Black Box Thinking by a guy called Matthew Syed. Uh, and he talks about uh, different sort of uh, industry types uh, that still have this mindset of blame culture and that they're trying to move away from it. And other industries, like the airline industry, the moment that they have an airplane crash, the first thing they do is not to look to apportion blame, but look to get evidence of why this plane crashed so that they can prevent it from happening again. Uh, and that's where you're coming at it from, you know, in terms of the learning culture. Mm. You've also talked about, you know, the, the growth mindset. And, you know, there's, there is something around the finite mindset or the infinite mindset. And for me, it's always about the infinite mindset. The finite mindset is that mindset that competes with other people, is that mindset that says, here's my goal, I want to reach this goal, wherever that goal might be, you know, that's my finishing line. And my problem with that is, A, who says that we have to compete with other people? Seriously, who says that we have to compete with other people? We're only ever taught this at school. We're only ever taught this uh, in our families. We're only ever taught this in society. But there is no absolute proof to say that if you want to get forward in life, you have to compete with other people. 
So for me, you know, I have to throw that book into the fire because that is not how I operate. And I think that's what a growth mindset is all about. And what happens when you get to the finishing post? So you've set a goal. What happens when you achieve that goal? Do you, do you stop growing? Do you go any further? Where do you go to? Whereas an infinite mindset, an infinite mindset doesn't look to compete with other people. They do look to understand what's happening in the industry. I look to see what's happening in my industry all the time, but I don't compete with anyone. I only compete with myself. I look to be, uh, you know, 2% better or two degrees better or two millimeters better than the person I was yesterday. It's about constant growth for me. It's about constantly evil evolving uh, going forward. And, th- and then the, th- the third thing that you talked about was the style of leadership. And you're absolutely right about hierarchical organizations. Um, this, unfortunately, is another thing that we've always, uh, you know, worked to this style, uh, this hierarchical style of leadership is something that's always been in our mindset. I work with every organization that wants to dismantle that a bit uh, and actually create flatter organizations that where people feel like a leader within the organization themselves and everyone feels respected and everyone feels included and people feel that they can come into this organization and be able to say whatever they need to say to help the organization move forward and that their voice will be heard. That's what I call cognitive diversity. And in order for that to happen, we need to be aware that there are different leadership styles. No one of these leadership styles is bad. And no one of them is overwhelmingly the only one. All of these have to operate together at at certain elements. It all depends on what's happening around you at that moment in time. So within emotional intelligence, we can talk about resonant leadership. This is pulling people towards you and dissonant leadership, pushing people away from you or pushing people in a certain direction. Uh, And and there are two dissonant styles of leadership. Uh, The first one is... um, um, command and control or authority, authoritarian leadership uh, or commanding leadership. It's called all sorts of things. And a good example of a command leader right now is Donald Trump. Donald Trump is always about pushing people in a certain direction. He's always pushing people in. We're going to go there. We're going to go there. We're going to go there, which is fine when, you know, your back's against the wall. Things need to be done very, very quickly. Then you'd start telling people, you go there, you go there, you go there. The, but you can't sustain that over a period of time. You can't be that person all the time. If you were to be that authoritarian person all the time, you're going to upset people. You're going to break the backs of your, your staff. The other one is the pace setting leader. This is where you, you say to everyone, follow me and you lead the way and you run at a hundred miles an hour towards a task. And for a short pers- period of time, that can be a very inspiring kind of leadership. But if you continue to do that, you're going to exhaust people behind you. So um, I, I wouldn't say don't do these styles of leadership. You know, when I, when I was a police officer and I was a goal commander, there were times when I had to be a commander control leader. I had to be a very authoritarian leader. I had to say, right, you go there, you go there, you go there, because things had to be done. There were life and death decisions had to be made in the moment. There were times when I had to be a pace setting leader. When I was a, you know, a public order commander, uh, I, I would always be the one that led from the front so that people would follow me. Uh, but I was always aware. I did that in a very aware kind of way because I knew that there were other styles of leadership that I needed to fall back on as well. So what are they? One is a visionary leader. 
this is probably the most powerful style of leadership. This is the one that sets the direction and say, hey guys, so this is where we're heading towards. That's, that's, that's the goal or that's, that's what uh, the milestone that we want to achieve. Uh, I trust all of you to uh, be able to operate with your own expertise and your own skill levels. Let's go together. So that's a visionary style of leadership. The affiliative style of leadership is the person that uh, is puts his people first, puts her people first uh, before the task. That can be really good when there's a welfare issue or when uh, you know you're going through significant change and you know it's going to impact on people. But you can't sustain that because you can't forget about the task. The task still needs doing. Then you have the democratic kind of leadership, and the democratic kind of leadership is is a kind of leadership that. Um, you sit everyone around the table and say, hey, guys, so here's this. Here's a problem. Throw your solutions, throw your suggestions to me. I will make the final decision. That's great, but it slows down your decision-making process, although you're being very democratic. And finally, you can have the coaching style of leadership where, you know, you have a situation, your staff members um, – might not know what to do or they come to you with a question and you use coaching skills to get them to dig down deeper inside of them because i always say that wherever wherever there's a question there's also an answer so you get them to dig deep inside of them to find the answers or you know to shred the question themselves to come up with possible options moving forward so those are the six kinds of leadership and and, and the trick really for me is to learn to become really, really fluid so you can move from one fluently and effortlessly from one to the other to the other to the other and constantly be going up and down with these styles of leadership depending on, and this can be from minute to minute, to be quite honest, rather than hour or day to day. Um, and I've gone, got pretty good now at uh, you know evolving uh, my leadership styles throughout the entire day, depending on conversation to conversation, circumstance to circumstance. That's really interesting. I've never thought of it as being so fluid before. Um, and while you were going through all of those examples, I was finding examples in my own leadership style where I've kind of touched on all of them. And I realized I've actually done all of them at some mm, point over the done. last month or so. so. So that how, if you are touching on all of them, what kind of culture do you create within your team to make them aware of the kind of leadership style that you're going to have, because it's all about awareness, right? If they don't yeah. know what to expect, it kind of comes as a shock if you're... Well, I think it's a bit like chicken and the egg. What comes first is, mm. is, is creating the culture, the basis of the culture, the first thing, or creating your style of leadership, the first, first thing. Well, uh, they sort of go in parallel for me, uh, and they are two separate things. So when it comes to the whole concept of leadership, um, if you aim to be an emotionally intelligent leader you'll hit all those leadership styles anyway. So first and foremost, focus on being becoming more self-aware as a leader yourself. Um, manage your behavior better so that you become better at the, the areas that you're not happy with. Become more socially aware of the people around you, the team around you, or the organization around you, and develop be better and stronger and deeper relationships with other people. That's your leadership style. The culture is really about, for me, it's about understanding that uh, my team would be full of human beings and every single human being is different. So what I used to do when I was, when I had staff of, you know, 500, 400, 500 at a time, I'd take an hour out in the, in the morning 
or from my diary and an hour out in the afternoon, I used to call it my MBWA, my management by walkabout. And it was literally just walking around, getting to know people, just having a conversation and, and A, letting them know that I'm genuinely interested in them as a human being, but also to understand what skills they've got, what attributes have they got, what aspirations do they have, all of those kind of things. And within all of that, I'd also uh, look to find out, um, you know, first clarify your, your, your values with everyone as well. So that everyone knows these are the values that this, this team, this organization, this business works to. And, and they need to check in with those values to make sure that they can align with those values and still say, stay confidently and happily in that workplace. Uh, I think then you've got the, the, the fertile ground to start building the culture, uh, that you want in the organization. And, and I think part of that, if you are truly a servant leader, uh, and you see leadership as a service is to get them to input on the kind of culture say hey guys what kind of a what kind of a vibe do we want here what kind of a culture how do we want our clients to see us how do we want to feel when we come to work um what can we do to make that happen how can we remain productive and high performing within all of that as well so you know it it genuinely is about bringing your staff in uh, and rather than telling your staff this is what it's about involving your staff in the process i think a lot of businesses do that they have like away days where they look at uh, company culture and they look at company values and they do all sorts of workshops um but sometimes you do wonder whether it was just surface level whether it's actually mm. being embedded in, in into the actual culture and i think that's where the real kind of work begins when you try and embed it and make it part yeah. of the company um so for someone who's right at the beginning of the business and they've uh, they've only just set up and they're looking at start starting to hire um, what would be your number one advice after sourcing out your own values? What would be like the, the top? I think the number one thing uh, for me, um, firstly, I would say that it's easier for someone starting out to start creating that culture and the values and the shape of the organization going forward than it would be for like an established organization. You know, I'm working with two universities. One of them has got 4,000 staff and one of them has got 7,000 staff. Uh, and they are both wanting to move forward and reshape themselves in terms of their culture around diversity, around emotional intelligence. That is harder for you to do. But if you're, if you're, if you've got a fresh sheet of paper and you're a new business or, you know, you relatively small business, it should be much easier because there's less people to have to communicate to. So one of the first things I would do is just have a real good long, hard look at my recruitment selection process. Firstly, am I attracting the right kind of people? Now that, that's very important because if you get the right messaging out in your advert, advertisement in the first place, then the chances of you getting the right kind of valued people coming to you, sitting across the desk from you in the second place will be higher. We've all seen recruitment adverts out there that are very prim and proper, but the ones that really stand out for us, and I'm trying to think of the name of the company, it is one that's well known and I saw an advert for it and it said something like, um, we are the misfits, we wear jeans, we have a laugh, we are nerds, we like our coffee, our team are our family. Uh, and it went, went on like that, but we'd love to have you on board. And it was like for a coffee shop or a sandwich shop, and I can't remember, and it's a famous brand as well. And I was thinking, that's refreshing. Within that descriptor, there are the values that come out. 
you know, wear jeans. We like you to be, be, be cool and, uh, and have that vibe. We like you to be nerdy. We like you to be different. We like you to be a misfit. There's a lot of values uh, statements that come out from that and it will attract the right kind of people, right? Mm. It's not about the money all the time. People think it's about announcing how much people are going to get paid. People aren't always interested in the money. People want enough money to live by, of course. But people want to feel valued at work. People want to feel happy at work. People do, you know, we spend a third of our lives at work. People want to work in an environment where they feel like they're a member of a, a close-knit family unit. Very true. I think one of my team members found uh, this little meme and he put it up onto the group and it was about the different types of workers. Like there's three different types of workers. There's a one that the hate Monday type of worker that hates Mondays, that's looking forward for a Friday, uh, that brings in cake on a Friday because they can't wait for the weekend. Um, so there's that kind of worker. Then there's another worker who compete with their own team members to reach the top because it's about the name and the title and who they can kind of uh, please in the business. And then there's a mission worker where they see the goal and they see the 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 mission of their work and they're doing it for the love of the work not for the title and not for the money not for the pay it's whatever type of culture that you're trying to create like a banker culture will be very different because they are very competitive if you go to a sales environment they are going to compete against each other because it's about targets mm. but if you are trying to have an end goal which most education businesses have got the end goal of achieving something with the kids or whoever they're educating then it's a very different type of culture that you're creating mm. um so yeah I, I do agree with you there um how do you overcome procrastination and what habits can we implement to avoid the situation in the first place? <laughs> it's like a million dollar question, that one. Okay. Um, I think first and foremost, it's about understanding that we all procrastinate. Every one of us. I don't care how good you are. I don't care how disciplined you are. In some level of your life, you will either have had procrastination or you will be procrastinating. You will be putting something off because it feels so different or it feels so new or so hard or whatever it might be, or, or so scary or whatever. And I've been there a thousand times over. I still procrastinate now. All I can say to answer that question is how, how have I managed to get over the things that I have procrastinated about in the past? I've procrastinated about setting up my business. I've procrastinated about creating courses. Uh, you know, I, I, I might have had a, a client say to me, yeah, we, we, we want your course. We want your program to be delivered and we'll pay you. And this has happened. I get through the euphoria of wow, I've just got a client. Wow, they've paid me up front. Oh, this is incredible. Uh, and now I've got to deliver it. And then that's where I freeze up. And I think, oh my God, how am I going to deliver this program? But I find that deep inside every single one of us is this hidden chamber of that we've never been into. It's like a dark room. And we need to find out where the door handle is. We need to find this room. We need to open that door. We need to flick the light switch on. And there'll be a lot of cobwebs in that room, but I tell you what, there's a lot of magic in that room. And that room is a room of your hidden potential. And the only way you're going to find out what your true potential is, is by fumbling around in that room, is about going into this scary room that's full of cobwebs deep inside your psyche, starting to dust things off, starting to have a look at things and starting to test yourself. And the way I've done that, I have something called laser sharp focus hours now. So laser sharp focus hours. 
So I will say to myself, okay, I've got to deliver a program. I've got to design a program. So I'm going to, I'm going to give, I'm going to dedicate an hour to it now. I'm going to do nothing else. No, no phone, no nothing, no multitasking. I'm only going to spend a whole hour on this one task. And I've amazed myself that when I switch everything else off and I just focus in on this one task, whether it's doing the research, whether it's starting to just create the content, that it starts flowing. And I have found myself starting to write a con- some content in the morning, a whole program, and stayed at it. And by the evening time, I have, will have written a whole two days worth of content for delivery, ready for delivery uh, a few days before the actual delivery. This is how I do it now. I force myself to sit down, have a laser sharp focused hour. But in order for me to do that, I need to dig down deep into my psyche and explore that fourth quadrant, as I call it, the hidden potential, room of hidden potential, and get comfortable with it. I love how you describe stuff, the hidden room in your in your mind. We all have it. We have four aspects to who we are. Uh, there's the aspect, there are things that we know about ourselves that nobody else knows. And, you know, that's our secret quadrant and it's it's fine. We're never going to tell everyone everything about ourselves. We'll all have our little secrets and that's fine. Then you have that second quadrant, which is the, the, the quadrant uh, that's like the open book. And that's where you know things in, about yourself and other people know things about yourself. That's that's the stuff that's out there on public display. All your skills, your set, how you look and what you wear and all your dislikes and dislikes that you choose to make public. And then there's your blind spot, your third quadrant. This is the stuff that you don't see in yourself, but other people see in you. This is why feedback is so very important, seeking feedback from other people. And that fourth quadrant is the stuff that nobody else can see in you. You don't see in yourself because you've never been in that room. And that is the room of your hidden potential and that's the room that we need to start exploring because that's how we're going to grow when you hit a plateau in your business for example if you're already working maximum hours or struggling to come up with new products how do you push to the next level oh that's a really cool question and one that i was only talking about this this morning with my own business so my business is all leadership development so uh, you know i go to organizations i win contracts from organizations and i say i will deliver a program for this that and the other they pay me and i go away and i design the program then i come back and i deliver the program there is there are only so many hours in any one day in any one week in any one month that i can do that so there's like a ceiling on, 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 on that. But if I truly believe in everything that I do, then I should also understand there may be better ways of doing that and leveraging your business and scaling your business, still growing and delivering it to a wider audience. So these, these are like the, the quandaries, if you like, that I was, um, ruminating over this morning. And there are several solutions, by the way. There's no one only one solution. There's loads of ways that you can scale your business and, 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 and work smarter, not harder. So one of the ways could be literally that you create your content, you, you create your content and you automate it. It becomes online and you just sell that content over and over again. You create it once and then you sell it. So I have a public speaking course. Uh, now my public speaking course is a weekend public speaking course where people come to me 
and they will stay in a hotel with us. Uh, it's a very intense, very immersive course. You know, that's why I call myself the immersion coach. It's a very immersive course, you know, 12 hours a, a day. Uh, and people come and they stay at the hotel. Uh, so you essentially you're living with them for that two days of teaching them public speaking. But I thought to myself, I can only deliver this course so many times. So what I did, I, I basically got somebody in with a video camera and I got them to film the entire course from start, literally from start to the very, very end. Every workshop, every lesson was completely filmed. Uh, and even people going on the stages and practicing and the feedback that they got was all filmed. I could now sell that and I, and I do sell that, that course. Uh, for less than 50% of the price of the physical course. I've only had to create it once. And um, one of my team members is automating that process so that it can be advertised out there on Facebook or wherever. And people just go onto the course. If they like it, they buy it and it's done, dusted, and you can do that over and over again. The other way, uh, however, that I think uh, I'll be able to scale my business, and this is what I'm going to be doing going forward, is I'm, I'm actively going to be looking for uh, associate trainers, leadership trainers, for two reasons. One is to d develop more content for me because that takes a lot of my time. Uh, so I've got uh, some leadership trainers who now develop content for me. Then I, I go through that content. I tweet that content to make it much more relevant to me. Uh, and I'm also going to look for the same uh, people to be able to deliver my content to new clients. So that basically could mean I get to a position where I could have three courses running or four or five courses, depending on how many trainers I've got, running simultaneously, identical courses running simultaneously in four or five different parts of the country. And that is scaling. That is how I intend to grow my business. So that is something that you can consider. But there are other ways as well. So my question on that is, there's only one Colmer Hay. How Absolutely. do you duplicate what you do because you're the brand in your business? And I think for a lot of tutors out there, if, especially when they're single-handedly um, delivering, how do you duplicate that style? How do you duplicate that brand over to someone else and I think okay. that's a good question and it's a question that you know we become very precious of our business and it's very important to make sure that our brand comes across so whoever I choose to deliver my content everything that we've talked about in terms of hiring and recruiting people I would have to make sure the process is so slick so good that I only recruit people who have very similar values to mine and a very similar style to mine. I've already been practicing this emotional intelligence for years and years and years. Um, when I get to know someone, I develop a deeper relationship with them. So I really get to know that person. I already know the first two people I'm going to contact. I've known them for a year and a half now. We've been having conversations. One is a former client of mine. So I know I've done a lot of thinking. I know that they would fit. And there is the brand and then there is the content. The content uh, I know is of such a high quality that if anyone delivered it well, it would benefit that organization. I know it would. It just needs to be delivered well. So I need to make sure I get the right people. But if I get the right people with the right values, then it will be delivered in a similar style as well. Now, here's the here's where it can get really, really interesting for your business. I could say to an organization, so I'm going to send one of my team down to deliver this training for you. And if they say, well, actually, we want you then I can charge a premium. Mm. I can actually say, well, I don't actually deliver so much anymore because, you know, I'm just so busy 
doing other things in my business. But if you absolutely want me, then there's another price that you have to pay. And I've seen this work in the tuition, in the personal tuition field anyway. Uh, you know, I have a friend in Birmingham who runs a, a very successful tuition business. He has lots and lots of teachers working for him now. But when he started, he was just by himself. Don't hold yourself back. You know, believe in yourself a bit more. Find the right people who think like you, behave like you, have a similar value set to you. Start trusting other people to deliver your stuff as well. But in the first instance, you really do need to make sure that, you know, you, you, you need to reach out to the clients and say, how, how did that go? You know, you have a, maintain a close relationship so you can have a really good oversight. But eventually, as you get, become more comfortable with them delivering, you'll let them have much more freedom. And then you can move on to hiring the next person, the next person, the next person, so forth and so on. And, and, you know, you could either create like a franchise kind of route. You don't know. I see people doing this with um, driving schools all the time. And I've seen people doing it with personal tuition. The, the business model is very, very similar. Very similar indeed. Um, why can't you do that? You can achieve anything. And if you run, if, you're, if your books are full right now, Imagine if you had three other people working for you on like a consultancy basis or an associate basis. They don't have to be employees. You know, you could you could say, right, you take 50% of it and I'll take 50% of it. There's all sorts of ways to do this. I wouldn't be hiring people. I'll be, I'll be uh, getting people in and say, right, I'm going to pay you X amount for every day that you deliver. But I know they've delivered that. It's content that I've already created and I still get paid. I'm, I might be lying in bed, but I'm still getting paid for that day as well. It's that. Yeah. And I think that's uh, part of what I've done because I, I used to be the brand of my previous business and it was very hard to take a step back. And when I restarted the new business now, I don't teach anymore. I let all the other teachers teach. Um, and I only cover if there's any last minute kind of illnesses or anything like that. And I think... It's a big step, though, to be able to kind of go, right, I'm going to trust someone else to do what I've been doing. Oh, and, huge, isn't it? And when you can see someone, you're like, I wouldn't do it like that. And you want to be telling them and you're like, I've got to just breathe and let them do it, make a mistake, yeah. and then they'll learn from it. And it's that growth mindset. If you are stuck It is all about that. And it's also about the culture that you create, right? Yeah. And, and, and for me, you know, we started this off about what do I call myself anymore? I don't actually call myself anything. I call myself call my hate. Before, when I, when, when I started off, it was all about Colm Hay, the immersion coach, because I, I needed people to see me as being the, the brand. But a couple of years ago, I actually asked myself the question, is that important? Mm. The, surely the brand that is important is ignite your inner potential. So then we changed all of our branding to just ignite your inner potential. Yes, it still has photos of me in there, but we don't talk about Colm Hay. We, we talk about that in the about section, but we actually talk about Ignite Inner Potential. So we created a brand new website, Ignite Inner Potential website. Um, we talk about, obviously, Colm Hay. We talk about the Ignite Inner Potential services. And pretty soon we will have pictures of associates who are delivering our uh, our work as well. Ignite Inner Potential associate teachers. I changed the, the company name from Colm Hay Associates on Company's House to Ignite Inner Potential Limited because I had to make it less about me Mm. more about what we do the company yeah. and that transition is difficult especially if you can see people making a mistake and you're like you gotta let them make that mistake for them yeah. to realize uh, the growth that they can reach and it, I, I know that you know just like you when these new trainers come on they'll do things in a way that i'm thinking oh that's not me that's <laughs> not 
But then I also say to myself, yeah, but they've been doing it for years and I've got to trust them. Everyone, everyone's an individual. They all have their own different styles. Fundamentally, so long as the learning outcomes are achieved, the quality is there, the people, the feedback is, is, is as powerful as it needs to be. They have got the energy that I've got and, you know, you've got to let people do it in their own way, haven't you? That's going to be a difficult thing to match because I've been to Cole's uh, um, <laughs> events and Cole Mahay is on the stage dancing. <laughs> I don't do that so much in the leadership workshops, but yeah, <laughs> there's still an energy. <laughs> no, you've done it. I've seen Facebook lives of you at the end of a meet uh, of a, a leadership training uh, meeting in, in a corporate environment where you've got them all dancing. <laughs> that was a school. That was a school. That was yeah. I think that was the one in Liverpool. I had 90, 90 teachers dancing to the Bangra. They specifically asked for it, so uh, so that's good. I can still do that. You're gonna have to train your trainers up to do exactly the same then. They might do the samba or the salsa or something like that. <laughs> I think it's been a brilliant uh, podcast. We've gone through a lot of different uh, topics there. So to just to summarise, what were your main points around uh, leadership? And I think the, the title of today's podcast was um, Leadership Through COVID. And everything that you've talked about applies, whether we're in COVID or out of COVID. Yeah. Um, is there anything specific to COVID that you would do? Do you think there's more of a need of a... A, a strong leadership during COVID? A hundred percent, yeah, most, most definitely. I, th I think there is a greater need for emotional, intelli emotionally intelligent leaders in, in COVID because, you know, when staff are working remotely, I was talking to a head of organisational development for a university, says, called, you know, I haven't seen my staff in like nine months. I haven't seen them. I haven't been to the workplace and yet I manage them. Um, he says, it's tough. And he says, I find that I have to work differently. I have to build deeper relationships with every single one of them. That's emotional intelligence. So I think emotional intelligence is fundamental in, in everything that we've been through, not just in terms of the relationships that we build with other people, but the relationship that we build with ourselves as well, you know, because all of us will have been through a journey uh, and we will have all been having those deep, meaningful conversations with ourselves. So that's the first thing. And the second thing is be adaptable, be absolutely adaptable. You know, Charles Darwin once said that it's not the strongest of the species that survives or the most intelligent, it's the one that's most adaptable. And that is evolution. And if we're not living through evolutionary times right now, I don't know what we're living through. So, so be adaptable within whatever circumstances you're in right now, you can still have, you've still got scope for adaptability uh, within there. Uh, and um, I guess the third thing is, don't think about just survival, think about thriving, think about growth, think about how can I be better? How can I grow forward? How can I do things in a different way? How can I excel? How can I be 2% better than the person that was yesterday? All of these kind of thoughts, that's the growth mindset. And again, you know, whatever your situation is, you can still do that. Uh, and, you know, to a greater or lesser extent than the person next to you, but you can all do that. And just on the adaptability point, we've seen big chains um, go into administration during COVID times. Mm. And it's the smaller businesses that have adapted and have pivoted that have survived and thrived. And yeah. I think um, it just goes to show that when things get tough, being big and successful historically does not mean that you're no. going to carry on that way going no, there's been there's been so many examples you know going back to the 2008 crisis where we had big names like blockbusters Woolworths all dying by the roadside uh, and this time around we've had the likes of Topman and um, and and Debenhams you know big names going to the wall as well 
it isn't about how big you are, but it's about how how you can learn to to to, to flex with the changing circumstances. And I've been inspired by seeing how so many businesses have changed the way they deliver things. You know, you've got pubs doing takeouts and things like that, deliveries. And they say that necessity is a mother of creativity or the mother of invention. It's when your back is against the wall that you start Mm. thinking that it's more important for you to start thinking in a very creative way rather than being in a survival mode. Thank you so much, Paul, for today. Your energy is amazing. And you can feel it even across uh, the fact that we're not even sat next to each other. I can still feel it across the airways. (laughs) So it's always amazing. (laughs) Thank you for your time, Sid. And thanks for having me. It's been an absolute (laughs) honour. Hope you guys enjoyed listening to our conversation and took lots of value from it for your business. Now, if you did, please remember to do me a huge favor and rate and review on your podcast app. And if you don't want to miss another episode, please remember to subscribe. Now, if you missed anything or you want to find out what's coming up next, remember to go to ukeducators.com forward slash podcast, where there's lots of information about the guests upcoming and those that we've already had. I'm Sid, you've been listening into the UK Educators Community Podcast and I'll see you next Sunday when we release a new episode.